I did not. Now people online can hear me too. Uh, I hope you guys don't mind, but I'm tired. <laughs> so I'm going to sit down, or at least I'm going to try to. Uh, I tend to get excited and, and stand up, but uh, it's been a busy week. Believe it or not, this week of Easter, Holy Week, is a very busy time for pastors, and, and even the, the months leading up, there's lots of planning and, and stuff that goes into to doing Easter and, and celebrating Easter, and, and I'm not complaining one bit. I'm, I'm excited for it. Easter is, is an amazing day in which we celebrate uh, Christ rising from the grave. Um, in fact, without that, without Jesus, there's really no church at all. There, there's no Christianity at all without Jesus. You know, the, the perfect sinless, all-powerful God who, who took on flesh to, to pay a price that he did not owe for a people who owed a debt that they could not pay. That's why we are here celebrating on this Easter Sunday. Because the cross, the cross says you are forgiven. We talked about that last week. And we, we, don't, we don't like that so much. We, we come to church, and I understand some of you are here because family members made you come. Otherwise, you, you wouldn't have come. Um, this whole Jesus thing, it's good for them, but, you know, you're really not that committed. And I'm not going to judge you. That, you know, wherever you are at. Um, some people will say, you know, all religions are kind of all pretty much the same. And... I would push back on that a little bit, but I'd say you are kind of right. In, in some ways, in some ways, a lot of religions are the same. They're a, a system of thinking that, that is passed from one group to the next. Christianity is different, and it's because of Jesus, but this, this idea of a, a system of thinking, we can see it throughout all religions. Um, religions have a, a prophet or a, a patriarch or, or somebody who had some ideas, who had a, an idea for, for how to live. Uh, maybe it was a revelation from some deity, and they, they share that with other people. They, they tell them, this is what I think, this is how I think you should live, how we should interact with one another, what, what God has revealed to me, and others begin to follow that. And others learn it and follow those teachings, and hence we have a religion. That's what we see throughout uh, all the religions. We, if you look at Buddha, Buddha was a man and he, he taught a system of thinking that this is how you should live, this is how people should interact with one another, and it kind of caught on and people started following that. But it's not dependent upon Buddha. Those same, if Buddha had never existed, those same thoughts, those same ideas, those same principles would have come about by some other way. Somebody else would have taught it. We would have had it at a different time. We would have known it by a different name, but it still would have come. It wasn't dependent upon the person of Buddha. Likewise, with Islam and Muhammad. Muhammad is, is held out to be a, a prophet who had a, a revelation from God that God told him what to say, and he shared that with the people, and the people began following him, but it wasn't dependent upon Muhammad. If, if it hadn't been Muhammad, then somebody else would have received that message. Somebody else would have taught that. 
and it, it would have been known a little bit different, but it would have been the same thing. And Christianity has a system of thinking as well, uh, teachings of, of how to interact with one another and, and the sayings of Jesus. That's all true, but, but that's not the main focus of Christianity. You see, Christianity is tied directly to the person of Jesus. When it comes to Abraham, when it comes to Isaiah or Jeremiah, the message that they received could have been received by anybody. It didn't have to be them, but with Jesus, it had to be Jesus. Jesus was uniquely suited. If it wasn't him, it couldn't be anybody. Christianity has this, this system of thinking, but it's secondary to the sacrifice that Jesus made. And the, the sacrifice of Jesus and, and the teachings of Jesus, we may think that's something that happened thousands and thousands of years ago. It really has no impact on my life today. There's stuff that happened 100 years ago that has absolutely no impact on my life today. But Jesus, while you may not see it, while, while you may not believe it when your friends and your family tell you, the story of Jesus and the life of Jesus still has relevance today. We can think, you know, it was a completely different world back then. It looked nothing like the world that we have today. But it's interesting, the, the world and the culture that Jesus entered into, let me just kind of lay out the groundwork for you. Jesus entered into the culture at a very interesting point in, in the history of Israel. Now, Israel at this point, when, when Jesus entered into it, it was semi-self-governed. They were under the rule of the Roman Empire, but Rome kind of let them do their thing within some certain boundaries. They had their own king. They had their own uh, political leaders. And you've probably heard of some of these political leaders, the, the Pharisees and the Sadducees. You might say, wait a minute, those are not political leaders. Those are the religious leaders. And this whole idea of a separation of church and state, it's, it's a, a modern way of thinking. Back then, there was no separation of church and state. The, the church was the state. Your political leaders were your religious leaders. And that's where we have these, these two groups. And the Pharisees, they were, they, we, we see them having interactions with Jesus on multiple occasions. They were the rule followers. They said, this is what the law says, and so this is what we need to do. I don't care if you don't like what the law says. I don't care if, uh, if, you, if you don't want to follow it. You have to follow the rules. Don't question the rules, just follow them. These were the the conservatives of that time period. They, they very much valued the, the purity of the Israelite people. They were not fans of the Romans. They were not fans of the Gentiles, as they put it. Anyone who wasn't a Jew, a, a, an Israelite, the foreigners, they didn't like the foreigners. They thought it was best if Israel stayed by itself if it stayed away from all of those outside cultural influences so that they could do their thing, they could be the best people and nation that they could be. Now, the Sadducees were the other 
political religious group, and I, I say religious, but they leaned more to the political side. Uh, they, they believed in the scriptures, they, they honored the scriptures, but it was more out of tradition than because they really believed that there was power behind it. God was important to their lives, but not so important that it warranted a change in their lives. And so they, they held on to the scriptures and they looked to the scriptures more of a, a, as a legacy. But they also thought, we need to keep an open mind. We need to be willing to, to accept new ideas. They were the, the rational, progressive thinkers of the time. And they minimized anything miraculous. Maybe you've heard it said that, that the difference between the Pharisees and the Sadducees was that the, the Sadducees didn't believe in the resurrection. And that's true, but it's an oversimplification because they really didn't believe in the miraculous at all. Walking on water, raising the dead, they, they wrote that off. No, it can't be proven, therefore it didn't happen. It's not scientifically accurate. They were the liberal thinkers, and they thought that the best way for Israel to move forward was to let go of all of their superstitions and to embrace the power of the Roman Empire. Now, there were also some smaller groups. Uh, there were the, the scribes. They were the, they were the rule makers. They, they made the rules. They, they enforced the rules. Um, they, they were your upper class. They would have been your, your politicians. They would have been your court system. And then, then there were the zealots as well. They were the extremists. They were your average Joe who got tired of all the political theater. And they said, we're just going to get rid of all of them. And they did it in a various number of ways. They, they hated the whole system and they would cause problems. They would kill people or, or blow stuff up because it served the higher purpose. All these leaders either went too far or not far enough. And so those were the, the groups that we have. And we need to stop and think about it. That sounds nothing like the culture that we live in today. <laughs> but, but in all seriousness, this is the, the culture that Jesus was teaching into. This is the culture that Jesus experienced and, and interacted with. And that culture, doesn't it make you feel good that we haven't really changed that much in about 2,000 years? It, it's very much like who we are today. And Jesus came to offer deliverance. Not to offer deliverance from that political system because each group would have had their own ideas about what that kind of deliverance would look like. But no, Jesus came to deal with the real problem, the, the root of all of those problems. Jesus came to offer deliverance from sin. And in, in Paul's letter to the Colossian church, he, he lays out and, and describes the, the relevance to that church in that culture, but it's very much relevant today as well because that culture is our culture those people are us and so paul's words have just as much meaning today as they did back then so if you have your bibles i ask you to turn to colossians chapter 2 i'm going to throw the words up on the screen as well uh, colossians chapter 2 starting with verse 13 just a couple verses not very long it says when you were dead because of the things you had done wrong 
And because your body wasn't circumcised, God made you alive with Christ and forgave all the things you had done wrong. He destroyed the record of the debt we owed and its requirements that worked against us. He canceled it by nailing it to the cross. When he disarmed the rulers and authorities, he exposed them to public disgrace by leading them in a triumphal parade. Now, if you read through that and you're like, yeah, I'm still just as confused as uh, before you even read that, that's okay. Paul has a tendency to do that. Paul was a very educated man. Um, he would make up words if the words weren't there to say what he wanted, and, and he kind of would get philosophical. Uh, so let's take some time and break down really what Paul is, is saying here, how he is explaining the, the cultural relevance of this whole Jesus thing. Now, to do that, we have to understand who Paul is writing to. He's writing to the church, the, the Colossian church. And we go over this time and time again, but I feel like it's important that we rehash this because so many people misunderstand. When we're talking about the church, many times we talk about the building and we refer to the building as the church. But that's not what the church is. This building is just a building. It might as well be a, a grocery store or, or a car dealership. It doesn't really matter. This building is not the church. The church is the people. It's, it's the, those who are gathered together in the name of Jesus, following him. That is the church. That's who Paul is writing to. The church is you, and the church is me. And so when Paul is talking to this church, and he's saying, when you were dead because of the things you had done wrong. He's not talking to that church uh, back in, in Jesus' time. He's not talking about that ancient church. Well, he is talking to them, but he's talking to the church as a whole. He's talking to you and to me. When you were dead because of the things that you had done wrong. And we push back on this because we like to think, I'm a good person. I haven't, I haven't robbed a bank. I haven't killed anyone. In general, I'm a good person. And, you know, you're kind of right. We talked about this last week. By the standards of this world, I think we would all qualify as good people. But the standards of this world aren't God's standards. The, the standards of this world, they, they change with the culture. What was okay or what wasn't okay 50 years ago is suddenly okay now. What was considered taboo thousands of years ago, we just expect that everybody's going to do it. That doesn't make it right. It just means that culture has changed. But, but culture does not dictate what sin is. Sin, from the very beginning, has always been the wrongdoings that we do, a, a willful act against God's law that we know because it's written on our hearts. We know what we should do and we choose not to do it. Or we, we know what we shouldn't do and, and we do it anyway. That is sin and, and that definition does not change. And Jesus came to address that very problem, that problem of sin, of the things that you've done wrong. You can say, well, that's not my problem though. My problem isn't sin. My problem is stupid people. And maybe you're right, but that's not the heart of your problem. You can say, well, my problem is, is the government. My problem is 
my spouse. My problem is my kids or, or my neighbor. The, that's what all these other religious groups, these, these political leaders were saying as well. My problem isn't me. My problem is these foreigners coming in. My problem isn't me. My problem is all these people who can't think progressively enough to see where we need to go. And they would, would blame the problem on somebody else. But your problem isn't the police. Your problem isn't the government or your spouse or your kids or people who just can't see things the way that you see them. Your problem if we dig down deep, if we strip out all the layers, if we, if we focus in on the problem each and every time, we're going to find that that problem is you. You are your own worst enemy. And you can blame others, but as soon as you, you get what you want and, and things work out and you finally solve that problem, you're going to find that there's another problem because that wasn't the problem. And... The first step in addressing any problem is that you have to admit that you have a problem. And the problem that you have is you. You are your problem. And I'm not pointing fingers at you. I'm not trying to come down upon you that, that you're this terrible person and, and I'm going to just pass on everything and stand up here all high and mighty. No, I'm, I'm talking to myself as well because you want to know what my problem is? My problem is me. My problem is that I want things my way. I want everyone to bend to my will. I want everything to happen as I think that it should happen. I am a messed up individual. I am my problem. That's what Paul is saying. You are your problem. And if that's true, if this is the word of God as we believe that it is, and what Paul is speaking is true, which from my experience it is, then what he goes on to say is also true, that, that the forgiveness is offered. That forgiveness is, is provided by God for everyone. And so everybody gets forgiven? That, we talked about this last week. Forgiveness is offered to each and every individual, but you must receive it. Last week, I held out a $5 bill, and I said this $5 bill is available to anybody who wants to come up on the platform and take it after church. I offered that $5 bill to everyone, but not everybody received it. Whether you, you believed it was true or not, that, that $5 bill was offered, but... It wasn't yours unless you received it. And if you rejected it, if you said it was a lie, if you said pastor's not really going to give it up or, or it's a fake $5 bill, if you didn't believe it, then you never received it. But it's not because it wasn't offered. And you see, you don't have to believe it. Somebody believed it. That $5 bill is gone. So somebody received it. Somebody believed me. But even if you didn't, even if you don't believe this whole God thing and Jesus thing, that doesn't change anything. Just because you don't believe it's true doesn't make it not true. Just because you thought it was a fake $5 bill didn't change the fact of whether it was real or not. 
All it changed was your willingness to accept it. Your rejecting of it didn't change reality. You can deny that you owe the bank money, but it doesn't change the fact that they're going to come after you and try to collect. And you see, that's the analogy that Paul begins to use in verse 14. When he talks about that Jesus destroyed the record of debt that we owed. This, a few weeks ago, I had the great privilege of finally paying off our van. We took out a loan for it years ago, and finally, I made the last payment. And if you've ever done something like that, then, then you, know, you know how great of a feeling that is. But you also know that once you make that final payment, they send you a letter that says, Hey, our records show that you paid off your debt. And then not long after that, you get the title in the mail to show, yes, it's yours. And it's a great feeling. and It's the same idea with Jesus. Except Jesus didn't pay off your debt. You didn't, you didn't pay into it and finally did enough so that you, you met that demand. No, Jesus canceled that debt. Imagine if you own a home. Imagine that, that your, the debt on your home, that the money that you owe for that home was one day just canceled, wiped out. It is no more. And how elated you would feel, how, how relieved you would feel that you didn't have that debt hanging over your head. That's what Jesus did. But it wasn't a 30-year mortgage that you can just pay off a little bit at a time and finally get there better late than never. No, the debt that you owed was an eternal debt. That you could work your hardest every single day. You could work and work to try to pay off this debt, and at the end of your life, you would be no closer to having completed it or paid it off. But Jesus canceled it. Jesus did away with it. A debt that you couldn't pay, Christ canceled if you will receive it. It is yours if you will accept it. And to do that, to do that, you first have to believe. You have to believe that Jesus is who he says he is. You have to believe that he can do what he says. You have to believe that the $5 bill was really real and the pastor would really give it up. And you can say, well, I'm just not a believing kind of person. I'm not a person of faith, pastor. I don't believe in anything. And I know that's a bold-faced lie. Because everybody believes in something. Maybe you believe in the power of the almighty dollar. Maybe you believe in the government. I can't imagine why. Maybe you believe in, in your family. Or, or you believe in, in, in yourself. That I can just trust in myself and I will always get done what needs to be done. You believe in someone or something. Because if you didn't, you'd still be in bed sucking your thumb. Too afraid to get up. Everybody believes in something. They have to believe in something in order to function in life. But all those things that we put our faith in, all those things that we believe in, whether it's family or friends or, or the government or money or ourselves, each and every one of them is going to fail you. At one time or another, they are going to fail you. 
you've failed you. You've tried to change yourself. You've tried to lose weight. You've tried to overcome this or that. You've tried to change, and you have failed you over and over again. And all these things will do the same. But God, God will never fail you. God is infinite. Remember, you are the problem. You can't fix you because you are the problem. But God will never fail you, and that's why Jesus is the answer. This is what Paul is talking about in verse 15. The problem in you, the problem in me, is me. I am the problem. You are your problem. All of my, my sinfulness, all of my selfish desires, that, that I want things my way, that's the problem in my life. And it leads to all these other problems in my life. But as Paul said in verse 15, that Jesus disarmed the rulers and the authorities of this world. Now, if you don't know what it means to disarm something or disarm someone, it means to take away their weapons to take away their means of fighting. And when you take away their weapons, when you take away their means of fighting, that leaves them harmless. They cannot hurt you. They cannot do anything against you. They cannot make you do anything. And these problems that you face, whether it's addictions uh, or, or whatever it may be, the, the issues that you are facing, the problems that you struggle with in your life, they may seem big. They may seem overwhelming. But what Jesus is, has done here, what, what Paul is talking about here, those things have no power. They, they cannot harm you. You say, well, it's just too big. I, I cannot overcome this. You don't know the, the struggles. You don't know the temptation. You don't know what it's like. I can't overcome it. But that's just the thing. You don't have to overcome it. It has already been overcome by Jesus. Jesus has already disarmed it. The only way that you can be enslaved to something or someone that has no weapon against you, that cannot do anything to you, the only way for you to be enslaved is if you choose to surrender. And that's what we do so many times. We see these problems in our lives, these things that keep creeping up over and over again, and we say, it's too big, I can't do anything about it. It's too powerful, but it's not. It has no power. It has been disarmed. What you need to do is to address the problem. You first have to admit it. You have to admit what the problem is. The problem is me. I am my problem, and I can't fix that problem. And then you have to believe. Believe in what Jesus has done. Believe in who Jesus is. Believe that Jesus is the answer to that problem. And then you have to commit. Commit to his way because his way is the right way. And you say, I don't believe it. It doesn't matter if you believe it. It doesn't change the reality of what it is. 
Jesus is the answer and his way is the right way. Whether you believe it or not does not change that fact. Through the death of Jesus, through his death on the cross, he divided all this world into two groups, into sinners and sinners saved by grace. Because through the cross, through his death, Jesus brought forgiveness. But it's through the resurrection. It's through Jesus overcoming the grave that he, he conquered the power of sin and the power of death. He disarmed the powers and the authorities of this world. He took away their weapons so that they can't hurt you, so that they have no control over you. And then he gave us his Holy Spirit to live within us, to help us to live the victorious life that he has. You see, that, that was the relevance of the cross to this, this time period that looks so very much like ours today. That's why this story still matters, because the problem is still the same. And this story is still relevant and still making an impact in lives today. And it will make an impact in your life if you will admit that you're the problem, believe that Jesus is the answer, and commit to his way because it is the right way. Now, I know some of you are already putting up your guards here because you know, I know where pastor's going with this. I know that he's going to invite people down to the altar and he's going to have people pray and I'm going to feel guilty and I'm going to have to go down there and I am not going to, to give in to that. Don't worry, I'm not going to make you walk down to the altar. So just take a breath and relax. That's not what I'm doing here. I'm not going to make you come repeat a prayer and to accept Jesus into your life. I'm not going to make you perform a bunch of rites and rituals. I, I'm not going to make you promise that you're going to be in church every week. That, that's not what I'm doing because that's really not what this is all about. It's not about saying a prayer. It's not about sitting in a building every week. What this is about is an attitude. What it's about is it, it's a matter of the heart. I remember the day that I made that commitment. I was sitting in a church, much like you guys are now, and, and the pastor got up and, and he gave his whole little spiel, much like you're probably accustomed to. And he talked about how, how we, we have the sin in us and that sin is the problem, we are the problem. And he, he talked about how Jesus is the answer. And as I'm sitting there, listening to what he's saying, I knew he was right. I knew in my heart that I was the problem. That it was the stuff inside of me that needed to be dealt with and that I couldn't do it on my own. And he was telling me that Jesus was the answer. And it, it sounded right. It sounded good. It sounded like something that, that I could get behind. And, and he invited people to come up to the front and to pray. And I, I did that. I walked up to the front of that church and I prayed that prayer. Somebody that day gave me the words that I needed to say, but in reality, the words didn't matter. It didn't matter what words came out of my mouth. What they really were was 
the, the best attempt to verbalize what was already going on in my heart. By the time I, by the time I got up out of that chair, I had already admitted I already believed in the fact of getting up and walking to the front of that church was merely just a demonstration of, of that committing to his way because it is the right way. So I'm not going to make anybody come up front today. I know that's a big stressor for a lot of people and it's really not a requirement. you want to come up, I'm not going to stop you either. But it's not a matter of saying the right words. It's not a matter of repeating a prayer from the pastor. It's not a matter of, of doing it in the church, being in the right place. It's not any of that. It's, it's a state of your heart. Your willingness to, to believe and, and to admit and to commit. If your heart is right, then you can't say the words wrong. You cannot fumble this prayer because it comes from the heart. And so my challenge to you this morning, some of you, some of you, you're going you're gonna to take this and you're going to process it, and that's okay. My challenge to you is to do just that. Stop being a slave to all these things that you think are too powerful, that you could never overcome. Stop surrendering to them. Stop giving in to them because they have no power over you. They cannot control you. They have been disarmed. Stop being dead in your sins and become alive in Christ. Put it in your own words. Say it the, the way that you need to say it. As long as you admit that you are the problem. Believe that Jesus is the answer. And commit to his way of doing it because his way is the right way. Heavenly Father, I thank you for Easter. I thank you for the celebrations that we have, for the big fanfare, for, for the, the celebration that takes place and, and the joy that we can experience. But it all goes back to the reason. It goes back to why we're doing it. It wasn't something that just happened 2,000 years ago that, that has no impact on our lives today. But it is just as relevant today as it was back then. Because we are still the problem. We still are our own worst enemies. God, you said that you have the answer. That Jesus is that answer. Whether we believe it or not, doesn't change the reality of it. So God, I pray that as we process through this, as we, as we think through this, as we figure this out in our lives and, and how much we really hope to believe that it's true, I pray that we would make that commitment. That we would commit to your way of doing things because we've tried our way and it hasn't worked. God, I pray that we would commit to your way because it is the right way. 
God, speak to our hearts. Wrestle with us. Challenge us in this. It's so tempting for us to just leave here and and get caught back up in life to just do what we've always done and just forget about this because it's uncomfortable. God, I pray that we wouldn't do that. Continue to press it on us. Continue to challenge us. That we may turn to you and receive. Receive that which you are offering. God, may we admit believe and commit our lives to you. Go with us this week. Continue to push it. Continue to challenge us. Continue to show us how much of a problem we really are and the solution that you have given. Thank you, Lord, for how you're already working, what you're already doing in our hearts and in our lives and in our community. We pray this in the holy name of Jesus. Amen.